Jesus portion of the call only because here at Old Dominion and for most of us around Hampton Roads, we deal with people that have some concept of Jesus. If you take a look on your worksheet that I've given you that kind of has the overview of the call study, um, you see the first of the calls to know Jesus. And that will be useful if you're in a place that people have no idea who Jesus is uh, or have like the only thing that they know is that he has something to do with Christianity and there's a cross involved. Um, so that, that's why that's not always necessary to do. And that's actually why when we get into it, when we ask people to start reading the Bible, we encourage them and push them to reading about Jesus so that that can also be their Jesus study. Make sense? Okay. Cool. All righty then. Well, the first thing that we do when we start to study the Bible with someone is we don't go in haphazardly and winging it. We go in with a lot of prayer and making sure that we are filled with the Holy Spirit because the, the, the one who actually does the heavy lifting for conversion, bringing someone from dead in sin to alive in Christ is the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the Holy Spirit doing all that, the process of conversion. We talked about the things that actually apply the helping, uh, the uh, what actually does the healing is the Word of God. We call those first aid scriptures. And then last time we talked about not just preaching Bible studies, but actually asking purposeful questions to help position people to engage with the text. You guys all remember that? Great. So now we have all those things. We've gone ahead. We've asked somebody to sit down and study the Bible. They've said yes. We're like, awesome. I'll meet you at Starbucks. I'll meet you in, you know, the student center, whatever. You sit down, and now it's time to actually study the Bible. And we can talk, we're going to do a whole class toward, kind of towards the end of, uh, you know, things you can do in the first study. Uh, there are a lot of different things you can do. People do timelines together. People do uh, ask certain questions. We'll go through all that, but I want you guys to have this right now, uh, how to just get into a Bible study before, that, before we get into all that. Um, but the first thing we got to do is make sure that we know the purpose behind what we're studying. So, the purpose of the call study is to do what? Yeah. And it's written on your sheet, so way to go, Dad. <laughs> She's astute. Normally, when it comes to studying the Bible with someone, whether it's studying the Word or it's studying discipleship, a lot of times what we end up doing is we try to convince people that they're not right with God the first time we sit down with them. We're trying to end up turning this first study into some kind of salvation study where people see, I am going to hell on the first time you sit down with them. Now, if they happen to realize that because the Holy Spirit convicts them, awesome. If that's where they're at, the better and quicker that they know that, or if, if that's the truth, the better, so that they can you know, actually start getting to that. But when it comes down to this particular study, it is not 
I repeat, this is not a study about salvation. Because what we will talk about here is has nothing to do with the person's salvation. Because salvation is not a works-based system. And the things that we talk about here are the purpose and the role of the Bible in your life and what it means to follow Jesus. A lot of times what ends up happening is we want to convince somebody that they're not a disciple or that they're not doing enough disciply things and therefore they're going to hell. But the truth is, it is not that you haven't read enough of your Bible, that you haven't gone to enough church, and that you haven't evangelized or made enough disciples, and that will send you to hell. That's never been the case. It's never been the case that that is true. It is always the case that sin separates us from God. Now, if you're not doing those things, yeah, there's sin going on. Whether it's selfishness, whether it's laziness, um, that if you're not doing those things, there is some kind of sin. This is not the study to convince people that they're going to hell. Now, they may get there by themselves. That's the Holy Spirit working. But this study is, we're doing this. Here's the call to follow Jesus on his terms. Are you in or are you out? We are calling people to follow. And the question is, do you want to do this or do you not want to do this? Because if you want to follow Jesus, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you. Here's what it takes. Now, some people following Jesus, they don't know who Jesus is. So we got to do a Jesus study. Some people know who Jesus is, but their, their version of how to figure that out is just doing what feels right and feels good to them. The Bible has no role in their life. And some people, the Bible does have a role in their life, but they're not actually obeying the scriptures. Or they've maybe never seen a disciple actually be a disciple. No one's ever taught them how to be a disciple. And so that, then, then we do that third part. We've got to follow Jesus on his terms, the way he says to. So that's why all of this stuff, and what we want to do in this study is it's the first time that we're sitting down. We're trying to figure out where they're at, call them to follow Jesus on his terms, however long that takes, whether that's we've got to build a Jesus, we've got to show them the Bible and the role of plays there, or we've got to show them discipleship. What, wherever they are on that, meet them there, and call them to do this and figure out, do you want to do this or do you not want to do this? Because if you want to do this, then we'll start talking about your problem. That's why we have a whole study called The Problem. And you know what? This isn't it. The problem is the problem. Sin is the problem. This is not the problem. This is the great call to righteousness. You guys understand what I'm talking about? Do you see the difference? Because what will happen if we look at this Bible study and what we're trying to do here, getting people to go, are you in or out? If we start to look at this like a salvation study, we will get weird with it. And we'll start making discipleship. We'll start making that and works the basis of your salvation. When in reality, if we were to do the discipleship study with disciples, some of us in our ministry, in our church, wouldn't make the cut. 
Maybe there have been times in your life that you wouldn't make the cut. You don't actually want this to be works-based. So what we want to make sure is that this is the exciting, awesome, upward call that actually does challenge, but so that they have an idea. Are you in or are you out? Cool? Questions about that? No. Great. All right, the first thing we're going to do in CPR, like a first responder on a scene, the first thing we do is what? Take the pulse. Exactly. How do you figure out what the pulse is? How do you take the pulse? Background. Yeah, okay, so like physically, if you want to do that, you do, do this or do this or something. But with us, what, we're, what we are trying to figure out is what do you already know about? Fill in the blank of what you're about to study. So if you're about to study the Bible, ask me the question, what do you already know and what do you already think about the Bible? What we're trying to do is uncover their thoughts and attitudes about whatever we're about to study before we go into it. If you've already got someone that believes that the Bible is the inerrant word of God and they read the Bible for you know an hour a day, you probably don't need to do a five scripture Bible study about the importance of reading the Bible. What you might want to do is a Bible study making sure that when they read it that they're doing something about it. That might be an emphasis. Or it could be like, wow, you make decisions all the time? Great, well, let's talk about discipleship then because you got that down. You don't need to beat it to death. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, first things first, take the pulse. Figure out where they are already. Now, one of the big things I want to impress upon you guys is that everywhere you go and everywhere you will study the Bible with people, they have common attitudes that will change depending on where you are and what life stage that they are in and what life stage you are in. A college student is not a single, is not a married person, is not a, an elderly person, is not a teenager. And somebody in America is not somebody in England, who is not somebody in India, who is not somebody in Scandinavia, who is not somebody in Africa. So no matter where you go, there will be common attitudes. It's your job to figure out what those are to figure out what the issues, it, it even changes from school to school. Old Dominion is not the same as TCC, which is not the same as HU, which is not the same as CNU, which is not the same as UVA or Harvard or Texas or U of I or anywhere else. Does that make sense? So we've got to make sure we know the common attitudes. What do you guys think are some common attitudes about the word of God that you guys encounter here at your schools? John, uh, I've heard a couple times this semester here. Yeah, it's, it's got good morals in it. It's got really good, it's a good way to put some good stuff in there. Yeah, some good teachings. I'm not opposed to it. Sure. That's uh, most of it's good, but some of it is uh, like not from God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. The I don't think it's for me. I don't think it's for me. Yeah, yeah. Other people may sure might, but obviously. Okay. <laughs> um, that it's like outdated. Outdated, not applicable. Sure. Eric. Written by uh, too many sources. Yeah. Too many people. Yeah, how could it all be in there? Written by men, not by God. What? I would say, uh, like you don't have to read it because you hear about it in church. Yep. I go to church, I get my Bible there. Sure. Step. It's a nice storybook. Yep. Cool. Good. Danielle? 
Yep, yep, so you guys got a lot of ones I did. Bible's written by man, not God, so it can't be perfect. That's what I got here. Uh, oh, I don't read my Bible a lot, but I definitely pray. That's a big one. Uh, I get my verse of the day text. You know reason it? Yeah. I get my verse of the day. I read my daily bread. <laughs> I don't read it. I don't her. <laughs> I don't read it as much as I should. <laughs> I sure some of them southern schools. <laughs> I don't read it as much as I should, but I know I should. They're kind of in that, like, yeah, 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 I'll get around to it kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, yeah, I hear it in church. So those are some, com- oh, there's one more. I used to be really into it. I don't understand how, how so many of these people had such pious high school years. <laughs> when I was young, everybody was into it. When they were young, yeah, I used to be really, really? <laughs> really? Oh, amen. So these are some common attitudes that we need to be prepared for. And for each one of these things, there are different verses that you're going to want to use. Or the same verses, but you may want to emphasize different things based on what they struggle with. I'm going to go to completely different verses. If somebody's like, the Bible was written by man, not God, so it can't be perfect. Completely different Bible study. Then if their biggest thing is, you know, I don't read my Bible a lot, but I definitely pray. Or I hear it in church. Completely different stuff. Different questions. But we need to become, as CPR experts, we need to become elite listeners. Please write that down. Become elite Listeners, that we are really, really good at listening to people and trying to listen to what they say so that we can help them discern their thoughts and attitudes about some of the most important things in the world. But if we're not listening and if we're not trying to figure it out and help them, then they're just going to keep on talking and we're just going right, to go out the window. Every person is different. We have to listen to people. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, so we're going to get into some scriptures now. What's usually the first passage you guys end up going to when you study out the Word? And I, So this is still the call study. We're still calling people to listen to the Word. But what, what's the first one you guys usually go to? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I still love this as a starting point. You do not have to start here by any stretch of the imagination. I find it's helpful, and I'll show you why. So let's go to 2 Timothy 3, 16. You guys probably all know this one, right? Yeah. Anybody quote it? Yeah, there you go. You're going to want to get in the habit of that so you can just quote it so it's in your mind and you can think it. Make sense? So, what's the purpose of this passage? Never study the Bible, never even study a verse without knowing, like, this is what this passage teaches. So that if you get stuck, you don't freeze. You know at least what the purpose is. What's the purpose of this? 
the Bible has the authority of God behind it and is useful? Yeah. Two big things, the authority and it's useful. The Bible is your authority for your life. And it's got specific things that it talks about. So, uh, we're going to go through, we're going to talk about the uh, the TRCT, the track, getting traction. You got attracted, attracted, TRACT. Teach should be a correct train, what traction we get from this. Uh, but for most of these passages, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys for what are the must-ask questions. Because you can ask a ton of questions about each one of these. And a lot of them are wrong. But I want to see what I've, I've come up with a few questions that I feel like are must-ask questions. I want to find out what are some questions you guys think are imperative to ask. Where does the Bible come from? Yeah, I think you've got to get down to where does the Bible come from? Sure. Now that's at a point where if you have somebody that doesn't believe that the Bible is the word of God, then this scripture will actually help you figure it out. Then you're like, well, I don't know if I believe all that. Now, this scripture is not a good one to use to convince someone that the Bible actually does come from God. Why not? Yeah. It's not because this passage doesn't say that the Bible comes from God, because it does. The problem is that the Bible says that it comes from God. Therefore, we should believe that the Bible comes from God. Somebody that has any sense of logic will go, well, that's just a circular ar argument. It says that I should listen to it, and it says it's from God, so therefore I should believe it, but I don't believe it's from God. Why should I listen to that? Mm -hmm. Now, there are other passages that we, uh, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later that are effective, because even Jesus anticipated that. Do you guys understand why this isn't the greatest passage to use for that? Yeah. I find that this passage is actually better for when you come from all scripture, you know, is, is God breathed. It's actually talking about not so much the validity of it, but the authority yeah. of it. So we'll, we'll come to that in a second. Other, other questions that you guys ask that you feel like is really, really, really important? Debs? After like asking like, how much authority does he give it, I say <clears throat> say like how much authority does it have in your life? Are we saying like any question or like specifically training? Like, anything? No, for, for this, yeah. Go for it. Right. Um, I just lost it. I had it in my head. But... So close, chance. <laughs> Maybe ask how they use the Bible. Mm. Yeah, I think that getting down to that, like, has this ever happened in yeah. your life? Like, have you ever been taught, rebuked, correct, trained? But importantly, by the Bible. Because of course we've all been taught, we've been in school, we've been rebuked because we had our you know, football coach get in our face, or your teacher get in your face about something. We've all been corrected, we've all been trained in something. But has this happened by the Bible? Great point. What else we got? Stephanie? I always like to bring up, like, ask some question, like, what is the word rebuke mean to you? Because a lot of people have a misconceived yeah, it's good to get into that and talk about what each one of those things mean, but very quickly. Like, you do not have to spend a really long time on this. Some folks get really, really into it. And hey, you you can if you'd really like to. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it. Um, but don't feel like you have to do an entire excursus on the etymological background of each of these words. You can say rebuke. What do you think that means? And you just say, it means to expose. Or better yet, for guys, it's really easy. You ever play sport? Yep. Ever do anything wrong? Yep. What did your coach do when you did something wrong? He yelled at me. Ever look at game film? Yep. 
What happened when you, you saw your mistakes? Oh, I felt bad it was exposed. Maybe you might not use the word exposed, but you get called out. Yeah, that's a rebuke. That's a reproof. Oh, got it. That makes sense? Yep. Girls, it's, there's, I'm sure there's parallels. <laughs> when, when your best friend told you that those shoes totally don't go with that blouse, exposed, oh my gosh. <laughs> you get called out. That's ex We've all been exposed. So, yes. Katie? Um, Have I thoroughly embarrassed you yet? Um, at the end, even asking them how they feel about us using the Bible in this way. Huge. Yeah. They have to enter into some kind of agreement where are you willing to be taught by the Bible and by us? Because yeah. if you show up to a Bible study and somebody, and you're asking about training and righteousness, and they have it in their minds that, yeah, I'll teach you and you teach me and all this kind of stuff. When you start trying to help them and expose things in their heart, we start pulling out their pride. They didn't agree to this. It's not going to go well. So we have to have some kind of, hey, I'm going to train you. I'm going to help you. I want to show you. I want to fight with you. I want to, you know, build you up in this way. But there has to be some sort of agreement on that level. Cool? I think we get just about everything that I would talk about. Uh, yeah, this is the some big ones. What authority does the Bible say it carries? What kind of authority does it have in your life? And here's a good way to figure out, like, because for, particularly for religious people, they might think that the Bible has great authority in their life. But here's the big, the big question. What would you do if you found something in the Bible with which you disagreed? If you disagreed with it, what would you do? And most of the time people go, uh, well, you know, I, don't, I can't imagine that happening. And I'm like, okay, let's say Bible's a big book. And you did find something that you disagreed with. What would you do? And then that actually gets people thinking. Maybe it disagrees with your thoughts about your family. Maybe it disagrees with your thoughts about purity. And that's where the rubber meets the road. This stops becoming theory and starts becoming reality. And what we're doing is we're planting the seeds that this is the true test of if the Bible has authority. That even if you disagree, you'll still follow the Bible. Um, I think somebody, yeah, chance to talk about this. Have you ever been taught, reproved, correct, trained by Scripture? And I tend to ask specifically, okay, what was it? What were you, what, what were you taught by the Bible? What's an example of something you've been exposed by the Bible to? What has the Bible trained you to do? And if they usually can't think of anything specifically, you're like, okay, well, what does it tell you that nothing's jumping to mind, like at all? Like, there should be something, even if it's little things. Like, hmm, well, what does that tell you about the role that the Bible plays in your life? Looks like you got to dig deeper. And so what we're doing is we're showing them they need training in righteousness. That's okay. Show them that they need to continue to study the Bible. I would be uh, to trade by the Bible and us. Awesome. And then you got to make the practical training jump. So we've taught, we've reproved, we've corrected, and now it comes to training, the practical application. What would it look like to start training in righteousness? Always make sure that you have some kind of real-world application to these passages.
Uh, teach, rebuke, correct, and train. Any questions about that? Common attitudes with this particular passage that you may end up dealing with? Uh, I'm sure I have been taught, slash rebuked, corrected, trained, but I can't really think of anything. You're going to come, that, that may end up happening. Yeah. I, again, calling people out, not calling people out, but calling people to be specific about it will often expose them because they've never had anybody do that. Yeah. Like, okay, so what have you been taught? Well, you know, um, be, uh, you know, be kind to others and live and let live. And I'm like, okay, what, what scripture is that? Uh, I don't really know. Sometimes I'll do this. I'll even ask the question, okay, so can I, can I just ask you, do, you, do you know what the Bible says about going to church? Like, should you go to church? Uh, yeah, yeah uh, I think so. Yeah, definitely. And then I go, well, do you know the Bible never, ever says once, go to church? It says, don't give up meeting together or some are in the habit of doing. It talks about how every member of the church belongs to every other member and how you are one and how you, do, you can't get to a point where you say, I don't need you. It's actually a more intense and that how they, how they met together every day in each other's homes and the temple courts. Did you know any of that? No, not really. Okay. Well, what does it say about, what's it say about, I don't know, sexual immorality? Ooh, get real now. Oh my God, I, I don't know. What do you think? Good, bad? Say you should or shouldn't do it? Like, uh, I, I, I guess it's bad. I'm like, yeah, but you know what it actually says? It says there should not even be a hint of sexual morality. Not even a little bit. Not even a tiniest little bit. It shouldn't even be named among you. For those things are proper for God's holy people. And you can keep going with whatever. If somebody swears in the middle of a Bible study, then I go, what do you think the Bible says about cursing? Uh, probably shouldn't do it. I'm like, yeah, it actually says if, if you consider yourself religious, but you, you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself and your religion is worthless. So I go, okay, so here's the deal. You had impressions of what the Bible says. Inclinations. But the actual wording of the Bible, and here's the difference between what you think and what the Bible actually says, is how much stronger was the word of God? How much deeper? How much did it deal with your heart? You see, even hear the difference in those little scriptures? Go to church. You belong to each other. Sexual morality is bad. Not even a hint it's improper for God's holy people. Don't curse. You deceive yourself and your religion is worthless. Sounds to me, and I'll say this very often to religious folks or people that come from a religious background, sounds like you have an impression of who God is, but not a clear picture. Sounds like you need to study the Bible in more depth so that you know exactly what it is. Because it could be that you're right on, it could be that you're a little off, and it could be that you're way off. The scary part is you wouldn't know because you don't know the scriptures. I want to show you, I want to teach you. A lot of times I'll do that. That's an idea to create the, not even create, just to show people, hey, they need to study the Bible. Because we all need to study the Bible. Any questions about that? And then, other common attitudes, well, there are many different interpretations of 
Who's to say what's right? This is the point where you change up your call study. Instead of going and talking more about why the Bible is important, now you've got to switch to a different kind of Bible study where it shows you how you could find out whether or not the Bible is the Word of God the way it says it is. How would it prove itself? Which, it's awesome. Jesus does take that into account. And then this whole idea behind interpretations, that's where, what scripture will we go to? 2 Peter, chapter 1, where it says, Above all else, you must understand that no prophecy had its origin in human teachings. So even if there are many different people that have different interpretations, the Bible itself says no, there is an interpretation. There are many applications. There are many different things you can do with this, but there is a singular interpretation that the Holy Spirit meant. And then you go on to talk about how you can figure that out. But if somebody's fighting you on this kind of stuff, it doesn't sound like Bible study is going to be very helpful for them. It sounds like maybe they should just spend time with disciples if they want to really want to figure this stuff out. So this is kind of where you're making a decision. What do I end up doing? If somebody's like, yeah, I want to be trained by the word of God. I want to do this. I'm in. Awesome. We'll keep on going with getting down the rabbit hole a little bit more about the word of God. But if somebody's like, I don't really know if I believe the Bible is actually from God, switch it up. Make sense? Cool. Yeah. Any questions? All right. Okay. Oh, and then this one. I wouldn't know where to start. You ever see that? Or maybe some people are too proud to actually admit that. But then you ask them, so where would you start? I don't know. The beginning? <laughs> like every other book? And that's where you go into this idea of building a reading plan. Just to let you guys know, a lot of times I only do 2 Timothy 3 for my word part of the call study. Because honestly, I think you can get everything you need from that. But you can always go on. There's more scriptures we're going to go through. But this is really important. Here's the practical that you need to have no matter what. Is you need to have given them some kind of reading plan or direction to help them start actually doing this on their own. So here are a few things that can help. First off, this is what I do. I say, hey, do you know what the word Bible means? They're like, no. Well, it comes from the Greek, Biblos, and the Latin, Biblia, which means the books. So the Bible is a collection of books. It's not a novel from start to finish. It is more like a library. To think of many books together. 66 books all talking about God. Interestingly enough, the Bible is organized by genre, not chronology. It's confusing because Genesis does talk about the beginning of the world, and Revelation does talk about the end of the world. That's where it gets confusing. It is not a chronological book. In fact, the book of Job takes place before like any, almost anything in Genesis happens. It happens all, the book of Job happens before Exodus. But Job doesn't come for another, I think it's 25 books. All of Psalms, all of Proverbs, all of Ecclesiastes were written within the books of 2 Samuel, some of it in 1 Samuel, and in the early part of Kings. So explaining that to people, and I go, hey, if you were writing a paper, 
about American history, would you read every book of the Bible until you got to the American history part? Or every, every book <laughs> in the library until you got to the American history part? No, of course not. You would go to the section that you needed. So, you want to be a Christian, start with the Christian section of the Bible, which is the New Testament. But oh wait, if you want to be a Christian, you need to be like who? Christ. Jesus the Christ. And so that's why we encourage people to start with the gospel. I encourage people to start with Mark because it's the most action-packed. It's like a comic book in the Bible. Mark is also the shortest, so people get excited about that. It's only 16 chapters. But encourage them to do whatever as long as they're being close to Jesus. And if somebody's like, I am, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read a gospel, I, I just want to read my Bible, I'm like, okay, you know what, that's fine too. As long as you're reading the Bible. We'll get to your pride later. <laughs> then there is what's wrong with my slides there we go the actual plan itself a lot of times people feel like they need to read a lot in order to get something from it when actually sometimes there's kind of a law of diminishing returns when we read the bible you, yeah, you could read for hours and hours and hours but the amount you actually get out of it might actually go down because you're not wrestling with the text. So I encourage folks to find a Bible, even if it's a Bible app, and read one section a day. And the sections have names that's not put in by God. They were put in by Zondervan or ESV or whoever. Anybody know what those sections are called, by the way? They have a technical name. Really? They're called pericopes. 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 <laughs> it sections. Yep. So all, all those little sections. So that pericope versus that pericope. But I usually usually call them pericopes because no one knows what I'm talking about. I just want to let you guys know that. But one section a day, and I encourage them read it a couple times. And they're like, I can do that. I'm like that's five sentences. You can read that. If you want to get crazy, you can read two. <laughs> Slow down. It's not a polka. And then what I do is I encourage people. That there's three things to do when you're actually reading this. Write down one interesting thing. I'm just asking you for one, the interesting the thing that you read in the Bible about Jesus. <laughs> just one interesting thing. Maybe it surprised you. Maybe you thought it was cool. Whatever. I want you to write down one question. Just one thing that maybe you don't understand. And then write down one thing you're going to do about what you read. And so what this does is this helps you fall in love with Jesus because he's the man. Yes. Start thinking critically <laughs> about the Bible. And get them into a position where they're learning. And three, getting practical training in righteousness. And here's where I will offer to have a quiet time with them. Hey, let me show you what I do. Let's have a quiet time together. Let's get up tomorrow. When's your first class? Nine o'clock. All right. Can we meet here? Doesn't it take long? You want to be here at 830? Okay, cool. Yeah. And I'll just show you what I do. We'll read something together. Now, I don't always do that. Like, I don't have, like, I don't do their quiet times for them, but I show them how to do it, especially if they don't, if they're feeling like they're frustrated or if they've never done this before. But even somebody who thinks they know what they're doing, 
If you meet up with them and have a quiet time with them, they'll start to see, oh my gosh, I don't really know how to do this. I've been doing my verse of the day and getting inspired, and they're all psalms. I have no idea how to, how to think critically about a text. And then that's where you graciously and lovingly show them how somebody who's really going after it engages with the Bible. Because we are making disciples and showing our example. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Questions about that? Cool. All right, moving on to the next passage. I was going to do James 1 or 1 Timothy 4, or yeah, 1 Timothy 4, but we actually did James 1 last time, you guys remember? Yeah. We did that whole thing for a while. So if you take a look on your, on your thing, the first thing you gotta have, you gotta make sure that the Bible is their authority, and that's done with 2 uh, Timothy 3. And actually, we're going to go over Acts 17 at the end, by the way. Um, you must obey the Bible. We talked about that. So once you know that it's the authority, you got to do something about it. It's not just enough to know. And the Bible is the word of God. That's We'll talk about that with uh, John 7, 17. But those are kind of the big three things that you're trying to get out of. Just make sure that the Bible's got authority and you got to do something about it. Um, here's a great passage that we're just going to do some, a little bit more practicing on how to get stuff out of the text. Hebrews 4, 12, 13. What's the purpose of this passage? It's useful to live. The, the word of God is living and active. It is living and active. It is useful to live. It's definitely one thing you can get out of it. Sure. Thoughts and attitudes. I think, actually, it's probably the more powerful thing. An antiphonal or periphery or side point that you can make from that is that it is applicable and that it does cut. Okay, those are not untrue. But if you want to get to the big knockout thing that we need to learn from this passage, is that the Bible uncovers everything. Everything. Must ask questions. Let me ask you guys. There are some questions that you guys ask when you were doing this passage. Don't. All go at once. Do you actually see the Bible as like relevant today or useful? I mean, not useful, but like so. Do you guys know this passage? Yeah, Yeah, live. Looking at everything sharper than a double-edged sword. Sure. Yeah. It penetrates the dividing even soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before Him. The eyes into to whom we of whom we must give account. Do you try to hide from the word? Do you try to hide from the word? Okay. Or has the Bible ever exposed your thoughts? Yeah. You ever actually had your thoughts and attitudes exposed? Maybe even are you comfortable with being exposed? Huge. Yeah. Asking that question. How do you feel about being exposed in general? Most people are not comfortable with that. I find I think this this is particularly important for women. Um, particularly, a lot of women come from backgrounds that they they feel like they must be very guarded. Uh, where guys, not that we don't have that, because a lot of guys feel that way too. But a lot of guys are more like a little bit more proud in your face, like I don't care. A lot more women feel like uh, I've got to protect myself. So, but hey, it's important for everybody. Any any other questions that you think might be important for this? Let me show you a couple that I came up with. What does the Bible compare itself to? A sword. And why a sword? 
Why did it not compare itself to a blanket? <laughs> Covers you with love. <laughs> or a chocolate bar. <laughs> now, different passages do talk about that. Your word is like honey in my mouth in the Psalms. But you know, Jeremiah, it also compares the, the word to something else. You know what it compares the word to? A hammer. <laughs> so we got a hammer and a sword. And honey. And honey. So do what you want there. But this passage compares it to a sword. Why a sword? Because it cuts. And not just any sword, a double-edged sword. It cuts in any and all directions. It's not just one side. It's everywhere. It is useful for attacking, but also it could cut you. It's useful for cutting down your enemies and dealing with your own heart. All that kind of good stuff. What does it say it judges? This passage says it judges. That word there in Greek is the word kritikos, which is where we get the word critic, literally to judge. And it says it judges not your actions, which we know it will judge, by the way. But this says it judges your thoughts and attitudes. Wow. So why is it important to expose slash deal with your thoughts and attitudes? That's an important question because if people don't see why that's important, they're not going to want to talk to you about their thoughts and attitudes. But if you don't talk about thoughts and attitudes, and here's, I, I usually try to get people to this point, you can do the right thing with the wrong thoughts and attitudes. But if you start with your thoughts and attitudes and correct them, you will always do the right thing. And some of these thoughts and attitudes are actually the reason that we have some of these issues. That you can correct your behavior for a little bit, but if you really want lasting change, you gotta get down deep. How do you feel about having your thoughts and attitudes exposed? Good point, Chance. And how do you begin to allow the Bible to expose the thoughts and attitudes of your heart? And part of that is, as you're reading the Bible, to deal with some of those things. To actually, that's where you go back to those questions that you have. Think about it. Think of what makes you angry or what makes you scared or what kind of messes with you that you disagree with in the Bible. And let that actually start permeating around your mind. And then encourage them to be honest with you when they have those issues. And that's where you can be real. Like there are some times that I read the Bible and I get mad. But I have to deal with that. Deal with my thoughts and attitudes. And that actually is the thing that changes me. And that's what God is trying to get to. Even planting the seeds of metanoia, repentance, even at this early stage. Make sense? Questions about any of that? Talk about common attitudes for this. What? <laughs> yeah, as long as I don't do anything bad, I'm okay. It's kind of a you'll hear guys talk about this with purity. Look but don't touch. Yeah. I can look, I can think, as long as I don't do anything, I'm alright. I can want to beat that ever-loving snot out of that guy. As long as I don't do anything, I'm okay. I can think a curse word as long as I don't say it. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. This actually talking about, no, if you ever thought about your thoughts and attitudes actually be needing to be exposed. Anything else? Oh, there's a big one. 
Those things are my business, not yours. Or maybe even it's enough for God to know my heart. You don't really need to know that. God will work that through. And like, understand, yeah, it will be exposed and uncovered and laid bare. But if you are more comfortable with having God expose those things, rather than being able to talk about it with people, boy, do you have a backwards appreciation for the fear of God. What am I going to do about it? I want to help you. God can judge you. Making a sense? Cool. Any questions about this? And so a practical training aspect of this and what you can do with this is making sure that you add to their reading plan. Encourage, hey, if there's any thoughts or things, emotions that come up, talk about them. Write those down. Encourage them to get deep on a deep level. And particularly with guys, by the way, who some guys have no idea how to get deep at all. Do this. If you ask the question, you feel something, and then you ask the question, why, about four times, you'll get to where you need to go. I'm angry about this. Why? Because it's not fair. Why? Because I shouldn't have to deny myself. Why? Because, I don't know, it doesn't make me happy. Why? Because I want to do what I want. Oh. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You ask the question, why, about four or five times, you'll be where you need to get. Women don't always have this issue. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I'm sure Katie would have a really insightful thing to say about this if she was sitting here, but she's not right now. So ask her about that later. But understand, for, for women, actually, a lot of times, you've got to help them focus. <laughs> focus on one thought or one attitude. So anyway, there's that. And we're going to look at one more. Acts 17, what's this? The Berrien Challenge. The Berrien Challenge. Yes, the Berrien Challenge. Let's just open it up real quick. Acts 17, can you turn over there? Bear. <laughs> the bear. Yeah. Okay, so we want to read Acts 17, verse 10 to 12. I got it. Something that's not Dennis, John. <laughs> as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Awesome. Okay. So, what are some questions that you guys asked for this? Think interpretation, application, contemplation questions. How Step often did they go to examine the scriptures? How often did they go examine the scriptures? Yeah. How are they doing? How are the brains different from the Yeah, something about why are they noble? Why did they examine the scriptures? Yes, huge. Why did they decide to do this? I was going to say, why is it important to examine for yourself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was the result of them examining everything? Great questions. Okay, those are a lot of interpretation questions. I think one application question. Hit me with some application and some contemplation. What? How could you go after having a noble character? Yeah. How could you be a Berean? Sure. And then, well, you might, obviously not. Yeah, you might want to help them narrow that down, but yeah. It, yes. Kind of what Reese said, like maybe they can back up their actions with scripture. 
Like I'm um, saying, like they went to like scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. So maybe <coughs> I was like thinking in terms of like, do they? I did this because of this scripture or something like that. Yeah, sure. Okay. Or that out of context. It's not out of context, but of course. Um, <coughs> uh, oh, okay. Have you ever cared to see if what people are saying is true? Yeah, I think that's huge. Like. When it comes down to it, a lot of times when I'll go with this, is, uh, man, I titles all over the place on this. <laughs> Why did he describe it as, as noble? What did they do when they received the message from Paul? They went back and they checked it to see if what he said was true. Have you ever been preached to and then just taken somebody's word for it? Maybe you could frame it in the idea of like, have you ever gone back and examined what people have told you to see if what they said was true? And why is it important to go back and examine the scriptures to see if what it's true? And here's like why this is such a powerful passage. Who was it that was preaching to them? Paul. Paul. Guy who wrote half the New Testament. More than that, actually. If anybody was going to have it on straight, it would be Paul. Did they just take Paul's word for it? Who do you got preaching to you? Jupiter? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, me. But think about your pastor. Think about your the person you're studying the Bible with. Their their, their grandma. <laughs> Reverend, deacon, bishop, pastor, apostle, grandmothers and grandfathers, you know, uncles, everybody's got one, or something like that. Have you ever gone back and actually checked it out? Are they Paul? If they're not Jesus, then you got to go back and check to see if what they're saying is true. Why? Not that I think that they're trying to deceive you, but they could be wrong. They didn't even take Paul at his word. And then you get to go, and you better not just take my word for it. How can you start doing that even today? Well, I can go back and check to see what... What you're saying is true. Exactly. Here are the notes. That's why we gave these. That's why we wrote these down. Remember the guy, the other person that's in the Bible study with me, they're not mute. They're not unable to speak. They're just taking notes for you so that you can go back and check it out yourself. Some common attitudes with this one. My pastor is really great. I really trust him slash her. Nope. My grandma wouldn't steer me wrong. Now this is where this is where we cannot cannot get confrontational unless they bring it there. If they say this, like you know, I I, I guarantee, like I would bet your grandmother would never steer you wrong intentionally. But is your grandma Jesus? No. Would she say she's Jesus? No. So do you think she'd have any problem with you going back and just making sure that the Bible is they're good? Nah, she wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> so go back and check it out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Back on the Think. Oh, here's the other one. Well, I would feel it if it was wrong. <laughs> I'm sure I would know if it was wrong. I'm like, and this is a hard one because it is very difficult to get somebody to go against their feelings, particularly if they're a gut instinct person. Like, I've got to, got to feel it. 
And that's where you have to ask, well, is there any possibility that you could feel something was right when it was really wrong? Is that possible? Now, however unlikely it is, and they may go, well, I mean, probably, probably, I guess so. Like, okay, well, if it's possible, then just go back and make sure. And this is where, like, if you really have issues, Matthew 7 is a good one to go to, where it talks about the wise man built his house on the rock versus the sand. It talks about anybody that put, hears my words and puts them into practice like a wise man that built his house on the rock. The rock is the word, and it doesn't change. Sand changes a lot, kind of like our emotions and our feelings. So if somebody's very based upon their emotions, it's probably like building on sand that changes rather than scripture. Yeah, Danielle? Okay, so this might be weird, it might not, but um, so I got that that statement once, and what I did was I said something that sounded like it could be in the Bible, and I was like, it's in Acts 29, and <laughs> they were like, yeah, like, that's so great, and I was like, okay, but go to Acts 29, and they were like, wait, like, my Bible's missing something, and I was like, Hey, what? Oh. <laughs> no, you're missing something. <laughs> yeah. I think that, that would be like an extreme infection. I mean, I'd love that. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like the thing that you guys ever see it where it's like Taylor Swift. They have a picture of Taylor Swift and then there's a quote next to her. And it says something that's inspiring, but it turns out that quote's actually from Hitler. <laughs> that's a real thing. Um, yeah, you can make anybody say anything. You can make the Bible say anything. I think it's a great illustration if somebody is really, really deceived. Um, I would encourage you not to lie to the person that you're studying the Bible with. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's not as though that's, if, if you need to, I guess so. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do a ton of that be, only because I think every time you do that, you undermine the trust that they might have in you. Like, even if it's not like, oh, you were trying to make a point or an illustration, particularly if it's the first time you're sitting down with somebody, you want to build trust rather than take it away. And I know that's what you want to do. And you're trying to just make a point and show, show them that stuff. If you have a relationship with them already and they already trust you, go for it. That's fine. Don't do it super often. But you don't want them to feel like Danielle's just waiting to bait and switch. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times we can get in that way. And as that's ridiculously effective. <laughs> As far as like, of course, and like that makes your point. How did it go after that, by the way? Oh, she, she, she was, she was something. She, she's a great friend of mine. Uh, no, but she was like, oh, like I understand. Sure. But yeah, no, I, I just say you don't want to give them reasons not to trust you, and not that you're you're not there to make them foolish. I know I've done that where I've I just wanted to put people in their place when I study the Bible with them, and I know that's not what we're trying to do, and. You're, we're trying to make points. We just want to make sure that people feel like, I'm here to build you up. So, anyway. Effective. Probably super effective. <laughs> Any other thoughts about this? Questions? Okay. What if it's, like, they say that they feel like God's telling them that it's right or something like that? That's actually a good point. So, I always talk about, all right, so... Like, if you get voices or signs or something like that, you ever have somebody that goes with that? If it's a sign, Luke 16 is your good one, but if you don't believe the Bible, then even if you have somebody rise from the dead, you're not going to believe. But I throw this out there. I'm like, okay, so as far as voices or feelings or signs, is God the only spiritual presence and power out there? 
No. Who else is out there? Does Satan have the ability to show you signs and tell you voices and tell you things and make you feel stuff? Yes. Yep. So then I ask, so how do you tell the difference? How do you tell the difference? And if you say feeling, Satan can manipulate your feelings. Satan makes people feel good about sin all the time. The great, what shows you whether or not it's from God or not, is that if it's from God, it will never contradict Scripture. The Bible is your great barometer, tape measure, and your standard that will never be violated if God's trying to tell you something. But if you've got something that goes against the Bible, God is never going to contradict his own word. He's never going to give you the okay to dismiss what he says. That's why he's got that whole build your house in the rock thing. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Cool. A great question. All right, so some additional scriptures. We've talked about this. Wow, I even did it. That's 2 Peter 1, not 1 Peter 1. Man, so many typos. That's 2 Peter. <laughs> John 7, 17. I call this the Jesus dare. Flip over there real quick, please. I love this because you could also call this the Jesus experiment. I will very often do this for people with scientific backgrounds. I go, so in your background, how would you find out if something is true? Because you're scientific, you're logical and reasonable and rational. How would you find out if something was true? Well, you set up an experiment. And if they don't think that, I'm like, are you sure you're scientific? <laughs> no, you would set up a, a hypothesis and test it. Okay? Would it shock you to know that Jesus sets up his own experiment in the Bible? Here it is. Let me read verses 16 and 17. Reese, go for it. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Hypothesis. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on it. Okay, cool. What's up, guys? So, basically, my teaching doesn't come from me. It comes from God. But if anyone decides to do it, put it into practice, he's going to find out whether or not it comes from me or it comes, like, comes from my own if I'm just some dude or I'm actually speaking on behalf of God. So, and then I go, so what is the independent variable here? The independent variable, which would be the variable that you change, that you intentionally change, is the amount of scripture that you are obeying. So Jesus is preaching. He's telling you, this is the will of God for you to do this. If you obey his scripture... That's the independent variable. If you increase that, then there should be a dependent variable. Of God will show you that it's true. It's going to do what it says it does. If God makes you a promise and you hold up your end of the bargain, the independent variable, then the dependent variable should be the result. That God will do what he says he's going to do. 
And it will happen over and over and over again. But you got to be willing to do that. You got to be willing to put it into practice. If you put it into practice and it doesn't happen the way God says it's going to happen, hey, you just tested your hypothesis. The hypothesis was proven false. Now don't worry about it then. You got nothing to worry about. But if it's true, then we got something going on here. This is the Jesus experiment. I, for somebody that's not super scientific, I, I go, it's the Jesus dare. Jesus goes, he's daring you. Hey, don't take my word for it. Put it into practice and you're going to find out whether or not I'm talking on my own or speaking on behalf of God. I dare you. Do it. Are you willing to try this out? And then John 8's the similar thing. Turn the page just over there. This is Jesus Dare Part 2, but it's also good for uh, religious people as well. Somebody want to read 30 through 32? What's up, Chris? Actually, let's go with Deb, because Dennis is very zealous. 30? Even as he spoke, many believed in it. Stop. What did you say? Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Okay, so people are believing. This will become important in just a second. Please continue, Dad. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus Dare Part 2. A lot of times we want to know the truth. If you're going to buy a car, you want to know the truth about a car. Before you buy the car, before you take the class, you go on Rate My Professor and find out, yes. right? Every single time. Tell me the truth, and then I'll do it. Jesus is going, hey, I'm going to give you the truth, but you don't get it up front. The order is just different. Not that there's no truth, but you have something to do. It says, if you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples, and then, and only then, will you what? Know the truth. Know the truth. The truth doesn't come up front, but it does come. A lot of times people go, faith is just keeping on going the same way despite the evidence. And I go, no, that's not right. Faith is saying, I trust that God's going to hold it up, and I'm willing to do this before I get the results. But the results will come. I just don't get them up front. <clears throat> that makes sense? Yeah. Then I often talk about a chair. Like, how many of you guys sat in the chair that you're sitting in right now before? You sat in that chair? Awesome. Well, awesome, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> Want to sit in that chair? The worst one. The one at the very end over there? Would you have problems doing that? No. Would you have a crisis of chair faith? <laughs> no. No. The first time you sat in that chair, did you have problems sitting down in that chair? Did you start examining it to figure out its structural integrity? Not this one. Yeah, not that one. <laughs> Most of us don't have because none of us have chair baggage. <laughs> I'm like, you guys have tremendous chair faith. We sit in chairs all the time. We've never sat in. I'm not saying that if you were to sit in the chair and to fall in, that you've got to keep sitting in the chair. I'm saying you've got to sit down and put your weight on it to actually figure out whether or not that chair is going to hold you. That's faith. It's initial faith. You trust a chair. That's how you trust the word of God. You just need initial faith, and God will take care of the rest. He's going to come through with what he promises you. 
Here's the other part for belief is not enough. The very first thing it says is they believe, they put their faith in him. And what he does not say is, oh, you believe? Well, off you go. Good job. <laughs> now he goes, if you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples. Time out. I thought they believed. Are they not truly his disciples yet? Not according to Jesus. In order to be his disciple, what do you got to do? Hold to the teachings. So if somebody goes, oh, wait, hold on. I, I just believe that's okay. Well, amen. Believing is a huge thing. But an intellectual acknowledgement of Jesus as valid, that's not real faith. and That's not real discipleship. Because even the demons believe that. You got to hold to the teachings. Make sense? Cool. Matthew 7, talked about that before. John 16, verse 7 through 11. The Spirit convicts. It will come to convict with the world with regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is what happens when you ever study the Bible with someone and they're feeling like, oh, I'm just, I'm feeling heavy. Well, I don't think this should, it should feel like that. You're making me feel guilty. You're making me feel bad about my sin. Yeah. And understand, we are not trying to get people to go on this massive guilt trip. But if you're feeling the sting and the burn of exposure, yeah, that's not our problem. That's actually, that's actually the spirit working on your heart. You're going to feel the burn because it's working. And if you've got sin in your heart, you best believe it's a good thing for you to get exposed. You know, somebody goes, you just up on your high horse making me feel bad about my sin. I'm like, or maybe I'm teaching you the scriptures and the Holy Spirit is convicting because you're kind of a mess. That's okay. <clears throat> this, this is always good to have in there. That's hey, if, if you're if you got people that are like, well, I don't think it should make me feel bad. I'm like, well, it should never make you stay feeling bad. You might feel bad at the beginning, but that moves into godly sorrow pretty quick. Anyway, just as we're closing up here, the, the final challenge for uh, the call when you're studying the word with somebody is to make sure you challenge them. To have a reading plan and to follow the reading plan. I want to encourage you guys to help people visualize how they're going to do that. So if, they, if they're like, okay, well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to read my Bible. Or if they say, yeah, I'll start reading my Bible tomorrow. Helping them figure out, okay, when are you going to do that? I don't know. In the evening? Then I encourage them, hey, if you do it in the evening. I know when I do it in the evening, I forget it. And it doesn't impact my day. Do you think it'd be better to start your day with scripture or end your day with scripture? Probably start. Okay, cool. But then even thinking, okay, what's that going to mean? When's your first class? Nine o'clock. So can you wake up at 845 and read your Bible? Oh, no. What time you got to wake up? Probably like eight, eight o'clock. What's the last time you woke up at eight o'clock? I don't know. High school? No. <laughs> Helping them think through, okay, what if you just woke up 20 minutes early? Okay, what if you woke up at 8.20, read your Bible for 15, 20 minutes, and started writing stuff down, hop in the shower, go to class? Helping them to visualize that. Asking them, what might stop you from doing that? And the answer is your phone, Facebook, food, shower, <laughs> Sleeping too late, not setting your alarm, staying up till four o'clock in the morning, watching the you know Parks and Rec. 
helping them figure out how they're going to make this thing work. Want to encourage them to attend disciple functions through, hey, you should come out to this because if you want to live like this, come and see what we're like. See if this is anything you want. See if we're really who we are when we say we are. Don't take our word for it. We better be living this out. Uh, usually I do this for, for the discipleship portion. I think that's the same slide. Yep, spend time with disciples. It's not just enough to come to church because anybody can be spiritual during church. It's everything in between that shows who we really are. Yeah. Which, by the way, should convict all of us who are disciples mm -hmm. that if you're spiritual during church functions, but you are a mess and worldly outside of it, if y'all are gossiping, if you guys are, I don't know, watching sketchy movies or listening to sketchy music, what kind of impact are you making on the people that you're trying to study the Bible with? So, it's tough for us to think about, yeah. that we want to be ambassadors at all times. So, that's the call. Uh, any questions about this? Can you go back to slides? Those slides. Yeah, one more. One more slide? Yeah. The next slide just says the call. No, that. No, before this one. Thank you. Cool. Any other questions? That's so you said um, we're not trying to establish that they're not Christians. So, like, <clears throat> if they don't. That's not what I said. Okay. Is that this is not a salvation study. When we come to discipleship, no, we do need to help them see that they're not Christians if they're not living a Christian life. Okay. So, completely different. The issue is that the, what we do is we take a look at scriptures like Acts 11, 25, and 26, and there is no salvation in that. It's just disciple is the same as a Christian. The standard is there. But even, you know, we're taking a look at there that, that Jesus doesn't really link discipleship to salvation ever, except for in Luke 9, verse 25, very loosely. Okay? It talks about if anyone uh, wants to save his life, will lose it, but he who forfeits his life for my sake will we'll save it. And it, you know, so, so Jesus is not making these connections that these are the things that will guarantee your righteousness, or, sorry, they will guarantee your salvation. We'll get into that when we hit discipleship next time around. Okay? So, Again, but this is what we're doing is we're calling people to this, not establishing that you're saved or not saved. Now, if they come to that conclusion on their own, go for it. We're just trying to help. This is what you're being called to. Do you want to do this? Because we don't want to make it. We are not preaching a works-based salvation. And if we start making it a works-based salvation, like, okay, well, your problem is that you're not sharing your faith enough. The problem is that you're not coming to enough church. Now, the problem is that you're selfish. The problem is that you're lazy. The problem is that you don't care about people. You see people in a worldly way. That's your own worldly, corrupt, dark heart. That's your issue. That's why you're not doing those things. But if you were to suddenly start sharing your faith, but you still see people in a worldly way, that you're doing it now for some kind of uh, own self-religious bent, like to build up your own persona, yeah, that's not repentance. That's just changing your behavior. That's what I'm talking about. And I know you know that difference, but that's, we just want to shift our thinking from we're out 
to slam it down people's throats that they, if they're not sharing their faith, they're going to hell? You know, no. There's not some kind of quota that we've got to get to. But if you're not sharing your faith, you better believe that there's something going on in your heart. That's why you wouldn't be right with God. Makes sense? The problem is the problem. That's what we call it the problem study. We study the problem in the problem. We call people during the call, and we resolve during the resolution. Cool? It's going to take a little bit of shifting, but the stuff that you guys have done, by the way, if you, if you haven't done this, it's not like it's wrong necessarily. Just don't make Scripture say what it doesn't say. Okay? Cool. Great. Any other questions? Awesome. All right, so you guys, homework for next time.